Hello and welcome to An Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA. I'm your host, Josh. I appreciate you joining me as I explore new ways of making recovery more accessible to folks that may struggle with the God aspect of some recovery programs. All are welcome here. The primary purpose of this podcast is to read from the big book through the eyes of an atheist and try to make sense of all the God stuff that's in there. Along the way, I hope to hear and share the stories of others while learning other ways of keeping sober. Hopefully, this results in others learning as well. So this is episode 9. So far, you know, I feel like everything's going really well with this podcast. I, I'm starting to hear you know, people reaching out saying that they're getting some something from it. And I can't appreciate that enough. You know, if, if for some reason you feel like that you have gained something from listening to these episodes, if it's made the book a little ex- easier, a little more accessible, or at least given you the, the open-mindedness to give it a read if you haven't before, you know, let me know. Let me know. If it's if it's just like you feel like I'm even wasting my time and I should be trying a different type of recovery program or or whatever the the reason is, just let me know. Give me some feedback. I'm I'm really appreciating that. The whole purpose of this is in the hopes that I either uh, help someone who's re- struggling with recovery in some way. I don't even care if it's small, the smallest way possible. If for some reason listening to this helped you stay sober, that's that's a huge thing for me. If for some reason that's not the case. And what you're getting from it is just the need for a conversation about some of the topics. That's that's fantastic as well. You can reach me at, at uh, uh, oneatheistinaa at gmail.com. Uh, if that's not accessible to you, you can reach out on Twitter at oneatheistin. Um, I'm pretty active on there. You can hit me at on Instagram, atheist underscore in underscore AA. Whatever your preferred version of getting you know in touch with folks, uh, just let me know how this is impacting you. Let me know what your struggle is. If something I've read, you know, touched on on something you're still struggling with even after my take on it, or or whatever the case may be. Like I'm my my goal ultimately is to build kind of a community around this. And if that's not possible, at least meet some new people in recovery and just share our stories. You know, that's the baseline of how recovery works. I've heard that people in these programs have have had no real issue with staying sober just by sharing their experience. One-on-one conversation about staying in recovery is a meeting. That's all That's all there is to it. So, uh, you know, I wanted to lead with my, my socials just to kind of give people that, that opportunity to continue to share their, their feelings with me, their story with me. Um, it's a safe space. You know, I'm not going to go anywhere with it. Other people aren't going to know about it. You know, I might share the general gist of it here just if something touches me, you know, that is a part of a struggle, but I won't give any names. I won't, I won't make, I won't out anybody, you know, this is uh, anonymous as much as possible. So, you know, I appreciate everybody that's continuing to listen. I appreciate all new listeners who've just found this podcast uh, The you know, while my intro makes it seem like the big book is kind of what I'm sticking with, these first 164 pages are going to come to an end. And when they do, I'm going to start having guests on. We're going to start exploring other ways of staying sober. I'm going to get into the 12 by 12. There's other literature that, that has been written that I'm going to get into, but this isn't going to be like the end. Once I get to the end of the big book, it's not like this is the end of the podcast. So it's just going to evolve and change from there. For now, though, we're still working through the big book as it's written. Uh, I do my best to kind of riff on the God aspects, the spirituality aspects that some people might struggle with. You know, I hope ultimately that this is kind of a potential guide for anybody having an issue with with the big book as it's written. You know, maybe you've held off on getting a sponsor, uh, but you still want to read the literature and you've had a hard time just sitting down and reading it because it is not the easiest book to read, especially the further away we get from its inception, just due to the language barrier. Like some of the stuff that's written and how it's written is really weird. It's been hard to kind of read out loud, but you know, whatever the reason is, I just, again, I can't stress enough. I just hope that this helps somebody. And so far, it sounds like at least one person, you know, has reached out to me directly and said that this book is, or me reading this book has helped them revisit it. And that's all I can hope for. So yeah, without further ado, uh, we're going to kind of get into things. The first thing I want to talk about before I get into my stoic reading is just real quick. I I got a sponsor. Um, This is being recorded 813. It won't release until almost a month from here. I've been trying to stay really far ahead because I have some stuff coming up and I don't want to miss an episode. I want to stay as consistent as possible with this. Uh, but I did get a sponsor. I reached out to somebody that I've known in the program for a little while, has the kind of program that I want and seems to be going about the same speed that I need to go. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I kind of went a little while without a sponsor, not, not too terribly long, but when my sponsor went back out, 
drinking was kind of struggling with that might still be struggling with that um i sort of just rested man and that that was something i think i touched on a little bit at the beginning of this it just was something i didn't really have a lot of expedition into getting a replacement you know and i hate using the word replacement just getting somebody else sometimes you just evolve away from people regardless you know i don't know if that was going to happen with that sponsor i would say we're still friends we still talk on a level that i don't think i'm going to be able to with anybody else but obviously as a sponsor that wasn't going to work at the moment i needed a new one i was getting to the point to where i was kind of willing to just wait until things got really bad and then ask and i you know that's just being lazy that's all it was i was getting real lazy in a lot of aspects of my recovery so i just When it comes to this kind of stuff, I I have figured out my brain in that if I'm waiting, then I can't think about it the next time that I have an opportunity. If I have an opportunity, I have to just go. I can't give my brain even a second to think about it because I will convince myself out of anything. You know, I kind of made that goal. If I saw him again, I was just going to ask him. I wasn't going to hesitate. I wasn't going to make it weird. I was just going to fucking hip fire. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, hey, you know, I need a new sponsor. Are are you still taking sponsees? You know, he said at first, no, (laughs) he's not. Um, And it was kind of a little bit to do with the fact that at we, you know, we are friendly kind of friends. You know, if I've touched on this, I'm, I'm sorry. I just wanted to kind of, you know, it, it really is more a matter of we've, I've, we've met a couple times and I'm starting to get tasks. So if I have touched on the fact that I got a sponsor, finally, I'll just skip ahead to that and get to the part to where I've been given tasks and I've been trying to meet those tasks. I like having that. My brain works that if I have somebody that is holding me accountable, even if it's You know, it's not like I can get fired from my job for not meeting these requirements. But if I have somebody that's expecting something from me as said, hey, can you do this thing for me? Can you do this thing? And there is kind of an expectation that I do that thing. Then I do the thing, you know, and it's not to say that I'm not capable of being uh, self-motivated or or, 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 you know, anything like that. I just am self-hesitant. I'll fucking procrastinate, you know, until it gets real bad. While that isn't even really quite always the case i could tell that that's what was happening here like i was just i was just giving it that big long rest until things got super bad you know in the past when i wanted to start working out like there wasn't anybody telling me that i just got up and i started working out but now that i've quit for a little while like the idea of working out seems absolutely foreign to me you know and i went a good solid almost two straight years of really going at it pretty fucking hard and then to just go to zero and not do any of it it the idea of even starting again feels impossible. But if I had a workout partner, if I decided to make that decision to get a workout partner, if my schedule would even allow for that, I would be there every day. I wouldn't miss a day. And I would be, you know, there with the intention of making sure my workout partner was there, making sure we got a good workout and I'd be there 100%. And it's just something I've kind of embraced about how my brain works. I collaborate well with people. And I think that's part of why I keep coming back to AA and, and not not all the reason, but part of the reason, because there is that sponsee, sponsor, men, you know, mentorship style arrangement. And while my group doesn't typically have, my, my group doesn't have big book, thumpy type, traditional style sponsorship, you know, situations, you know, I was given tasks. I was given, I was given ideas of how to improve my situation, kind of a deadline on when I should have that met. And I could immediately tell that, you know, that made an impact. Okay, I can do this. I, I have, I have a goal now that's been given to me and I need to meet that goal. And it, it's in line with what I want. And it's in line with my path. That is just a little bit of a kick in the ass. And it's, from someone who struggled with the same kind of thing they themselves had a similar kind of a kick in the pants from their significant other you know the the best thing about my growth in this program is learning that it's okay to be self-sufficient but it's also okay to rely on people you know i'm not relying on anybody for my recovery but relying on people to just show up being willing to trust I'm, I'm not just doing this because he's asking me to. I'm doing this because I trust that he's going to take this as seriously as I am. And when I show up with the work done, we're actually going to talk about it in a meaningful way. That takes trust. It takes vulnerability to be able to be willing to allow somebody that kind of like, I, you know, yeah, I guess a little bit of pressure. You know, allow somebody to be able, you know, I trust him to make good decisions when giving me these tasks, if you want to call, keep calling them that. You know, I trust him to not give me something I can't handle. And I trust him to uh, to listen to me when I tell him that it's just not something I'm comfortable with. If that ever came up, you know, it takes that kind of trust. And that's what I really appreciate about this program. I've had a huge amount of trouble trusting men. 
you know, and I, I think I do trust women differently. It's just, a, a you know, probably how I was raised. There's a lot of stuff I've unpacked with a counselor regard, regarding that. So allowing a sponsor to have, I wouldn't call it control, but to have that kind of, I'm struggling with the right word, but just that sort of relationship that you have to have with a sponsor, sponsee, if you've not had one, there is a little bit of not, not even quite parental but yeah, mentor, mentee, you're trusting that the person's going to give you the tasks that you need uh, to kind of help things out in a way that's going to benefit you. And in the same process, they're trusting you to follow through with it because you're helping them stay sober when you do. You know, if you're, you know, if you go out, if I go out and drink right now, it's not like it's going to affect his, his quality of, you know, recovery. But when I stay sober because of what we're doing together, that's keeping him sober too. That's the intention. You give it away. You, you can't keep it forever. So, you know, it's awesome being open, being open for that, being open for that relationship, being open to get to know somebody, being open to tell them the things that I'm really struggling with without a filter. You know, I'm an oversharer. That's already a superpower of mine, uh, but it is different with a sponsor. So I'm really looking forward to kind of going forward with this. I've spent a little bit longer talking about this than I kind of planned, but the sponsor sponsee thing is a big deal. A lot of people have trouble navigating that or even coming to terms with, with the necessity of it. You know, it's just you, you're us as humans are hardwired to feel like we're failing if we need to rely on people in any way, even if it's for guidance. I think that's something important to overcome if we're going to trust other people in our life in other kinds of capacities. You know, being able to trust my significant other is a big deal for me because so many of my significant others haven't been trustworthy. I personally haven't been trustworthy to other significant others, so some of that's projection. But that doesn't mean that I should just continue my entire life being so self-sufficient that I can't trust a significant other, right? So if I'm struggling with these other areas of trust, even if it's a reasonable amount of trust, you know, I still have boundaries with the people that I have in my life, which took also a long time for me to get, then, you know, this is a step forward for me. It's a big deal for me to, to continue to do this. The fact that I just went for it and just was like, we're going to do this thing. Will you be my sponsor? And we met and now I have this commitment, you know, having commitments in the program. People talk about this, like having a commitment of even just being a door greeter for a meeting. Having these commitments for some people is a big thing. I need these commitments because I need to know how serious I am about this. If I'm not willing to take on the commitment, then I know I'm not being serious about this. If I'm willing to take on the commitment and I miss some of those, then I know there's other work I have to, to do. But as I take on these commitments and I meet these commitments, my life improves fucking period. That's just the end of it. The more of these little small commitments that I take on, the better my life improves. That isn't to say that I have to live in the program. We've talked about that in other episodes. I'm not going to be the, you know, I am not AA. I'm not going to be the person that's at the, the meeting hall every single day. But I am considering taking a commitment at a meeting. I think this is going to be important to me coming up soon. I'm not quite feeling like I need that yet. But I also know that I'm slowly introducing more things in my recovery that put one more thing in front of my next drink. And that's ultimately the goal. Have as many things in front of the next drink as possible while balancing a regular life, a normal, healthy, consistent life. So um, let's get into the reading. I won't spend too much time on that. And then we'll get into uh, the big book. So in keeping with hopefully having a regular and consistent schedule here, uh, we're going to read September 14th from the Daily Stoic, A Different Way to Pray. I didn't pre-read this, so this is fresh. I haven't read this for a while now. Try praying differently and see what happens. Instead of asking for a way to sleep with her, try asking for a way to stop desiring to sleep with her. Instead of a way to get rid of him, try asking for a way not to crave his demise. Instead of a way not to lose my child, try asking for a way to lose my fear of it. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations, 940. Prayer has a religious connotation, but in life, we all find ourselves asking and hoping for things. In a tough situation, we might silently ask for help. Or, after a tough break, for a second chance from above. During a sports game, we might sit on the edge of our seats wishing for some outcome. Come on, come on, come on, we say. Please. Even if it is to no one in particular, we're still praying. Yet it's so revealing in these moments when we're privately, forcefully yearning for something, just how nakedly selfish our requests usually are. We want divine intervention so that our lives will magically be easier. But what about asking for fortitude and strength so you can do what you need to? What if you sought a clarity on what you do control, what is already within your power? You might find your prayers have already been answered. You know, I actually like this reading. I like, even though it's covering prayer, which I think for non-religious types can be a dirty word. Like I said, it usually has religious connotations, but I don't think that it always has to 
feel spiritual or religious. Like I said, we could be silently asking for something. In a lot of ways, that's prayer. Even if we know we're not really saying it to anything. I could be sitting in traffic and be like, come on, traffic, you need to, come on, let's move this traffic. Let's move. Rather than saying to myself, I can't make this traffic go any farther or faster. I can't solve this problem. I could be telling myself, how can I make this an easier situation? How can I look at this differently so that my life is being improved by this in some way? While it might not seem like it, being stuck in traffic could mean that I have more time to listen to a podcast or whatever the thing is. Maybe I can direct my thoughts to something I haven't really given myself enough time to think about you know there's a reason why this shower usually brings about a different kind of thinking because we allow ourselves to kind of feel like well we're already in this shower like there's no outside stimulus like it's a it's a a time we know we're going to be in there for some extended period of time you know without any outside uh disruptions there's no reason why being stuck in traffic can't be the same way and so I can change my internal way of viewing the situation by redirecting those thoughts if I'm, you know, if I'm able to do that. There's no reason to be upset about being stuck in traffic and to, and to, to crave the traffic to move further or faster if that's just not helpful. Like it's not like me asking for things to move along is going to actually make that happen. And this in my past definitely applied to like pining after a woman, you know, being stuck on this idea that I really wish this woman would like me or I wish this woman liked me as much as I liked her. Or, you know, there was this girl that I dated very briefly, very, very briefly, but things went really quickly with us. We, we, you know, got into a wavelength that was sort of a little crazy. It was how well we were connecting. And I guess if we were going to call it prayer, just for the sake of the reading, you know, my prayer was that we would just work out that, it, you know, I went ahead fucking, you know, years. We'll just hopefully this is just going to work out. And, and that was my prayer, not not looking at the situation and saying internally, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm not moving too fast to give this woman the space that she might need to give myself the space that I might need. We know I wasn't looking at it that way and I wasn't asking for that kind of guidance internally. And the reason why this might be helpful just in the sense of looking at prayer a little differently is that the big book does talk about prayer. Some people have chosen to use meditation as an alternative, which is totally fine. I think that's a reasonable alternative. There's different types of meditation. There's the kind that, you know, you clear your mind, right? There's a sort of guided meditation. There's also the kind of meditation where you have kind of a thing that you think about you know, in an attempt, I guess, to manifest it, if you believe in that sort of thing. But it's just sort of uh, something that you can, I guess, pray for if you want to call it that. I don't usually, but it, it could be along the lines of where like a mantra would come from or just internally asking yourself for the strength to do something, you know, looking at your reasons for not doing something, really just paying attention, but, but really focusing in on a specific thing. Like if I have, you know, this, this project coming up at work, focusing on, that project and asking myself for the the fill you know the focus and willingness to work on that project does that make sense and this can apply to the later prayers that happen in the big book there are there are ways of quote unquote praying that have the same kind of effect just you're you're sort of putting it out into the universe without the expectation that anything's actually going to happen right you're not praying because you think the universe is going to be like we got you dude that million dollars is coming your way it's more of a you're putting it out into the universe to relieve yourself of the burden of carrying it that's how i look at it if it's something major that's coming up you know if it's like I had my car had a had a fucking it had a check engine light that came on and I got it I got the code for it and it seemed like it was going to be the catalytic converter there was a moment there was a very brief moment where I had the opportunity to freak the fuck out because I don't have enough money to fix a catalytic converter I just got the car I already have payments I barely can afford and I'm making it worth work but I'm living paycheck by paycheck you know so it's not like I'm in a great financial situation I had the choice of letting that all just burden me and stress me out. And that can be an inter internal prayer. Please don't let this happen. Please don't let these, you know, please don't let my car break down. Please don't let me be in a financial situation where I have to get this catalytic converter fixed. But then I, instead of that, I asked myself for just the patience to work this out. Let's see this through. Let's see what my options are. But let's be patient about it. There's no reason to freak out. So I just asked myself to be patient. What is the purpose of freaking out? What good will that do? Will that fix my catalytic converter or my financial situation? If the financial situation is still a burden that I haven't really, you know, fixed, what ways can I fix that so that I'm relieving myself of that stress? How am I able to actually address this right now? If I can't fix it in this very second, is it worth it to be 
a hundred feet ahead, two miles ahead, two days ahead. No, we, we can only do what we can do right now. And so I had some, I set some kind of small plans in motion to sort of readjust how my focus financially. I took a little bit to do some Googling to kind of figure out what my options are, but I did so in a very constructive way. I walked away feeling pretty good about my situation. I had some options. I didn't freak out about something I couldn't really control in that very second. And I have a better plan on what I'm going to do financially. I, you know, I needed this to kind of help me kick myself in the ass to really double down on my plans. You know, I need to get my finances under in order. And this is exactly why, because I'm living paycheck by paycheck and I don't have to. I just have made past issues manifest to being, you know, me in debt. So that's what I would get from this reading is this is the kind of thing that I can do daily. There's all kinds of things where I could pray for like just this quick fix solution. Man, I sure wish I had all this money, but that's not helpful. Wishing for money or hoping for money isn't really going to fix anything. But instead I can look at, well, if I'm not happy with my work, can I improve my resume and start filing for a different job that will pay me more? Is there, you know, a way I can ask for money? And if that is, then how do I, how do I pray for that quote unquote in a way that manifests action? Like how can I manifest action around this that makes it tangible? Now, I don't know if that's how other people interpreted it. If it's not, again, reach out to me. I put all my socials in the front. Let me know what you got out of this reading. Um, let me know how you feel about the word prayer where you're stuck on that, if you're stuck on it. Um, do you translate it into a different kind of a, a word? Do you pray? I have a friend who's an atheist that prays, but they just they just seriously just put the words out in the universe like I was describing. Does the word just fucking cause you physical pain? I have another friend that cannot stand the word God, that cannot stand the word prayer. You know, they just hate all the connotation that comes with it. Where are you with that word? Where are you with that process? Is this something that you can translate to the program for when those times do come up where they're like, let us pray, etc. And with that, we're going to get into reading the big book. I don't know if I mentioned at the beginning of this because I'm kind of bad at this a little still. We're on chapter six, Into Action. Uh, this is a fairly short chapter in comparison to some of the other ones, uh, but it is it is the actionable. It's the first time we hear that word really expressed in the beginning of this action. We've heard about all of you know, what makes us alcoholics. We've heard about, you know... What's wrong with being an atheist? Uh, we've heard all kinds of stuff, right? So what does that mean? How do we actually stay sober? So hopefully that's what's going to happen next, right? And I know we got kind of a taste from this, you know? We, we've already done the inventory, right? I, I believe that we've done a lot of actionable things, but I think I think this is part the part where we really start to really dig in with the, the stuff that's going to keep us sober, Writing all the shit that we've done wrong down and examining that is amazing. It's a great thing to do. I recommend literally anybody do it. Just just to kind of self-examine your participation in things and how you've influenced other lives, how you've impacted other lives, and examine how you could do that differently. I think it's a very important kind of a process to see how, how to just really be open to the possibility of change, right? So w once we've, do we've done that, what happens next? And this is what happens next. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak times in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which, when completed, will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So, okay, the defects of character thing, right? I know a lot of people kind of bristle at this. Like, I'm not defective. The, the, the defects of character for me were, it was my defense mechanism against anybody threatening or anything threatening my drinking. I say that to mean like these were the the poor I just the the parts of me that aggressively sought to keep me drinking the lying whether it was related directly to drinking you know in an off-handed way I knew the things I was doing to people were causing harm in in like obviously you shouldn't lie to people and I lied to people all the time and in lying to people I just completed that cycle of sort of I'm a shitty person and so I'll do a shitty thing to prove that I'm a shitty person. And I'll just heap this stuff on there. There were other ways that I had defects that were all fear-based, mostly, that had some kind of 
direct relationship to keeping me drinking or keeping me depressed. You know, I, I protected that my, my subconscious, I guess, whatever you want to call it, protected that over the years, I just plugged in whatever you know data i needed to keep those i I do call them defects just because it's simpler since that's what the book calls them but really for me they've always just been this defense mechanism this these ways of defending my drinking um i just plugged whatever data i needed to in the different areas to keep those fed to keep those those defenses fed if i wasn't feeling like i could trust somebody then i looked for reasons why and i gave reasons why i couldn't trust i didn't have any boundaries with people but I still felt slighted when my boundaries weren't being observed or respected. And it, it made it so that I could just choose when a boundary was being disrespected, even if I didn't have them. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes full sense, but I read this kind of passage in a book that really brought home this idea that when I was in, when I was in my drinking, I did a lot to protect that. And almost everything that I did to protect that was, you know, kind of a defective way of thinking. Or defective way of acting but not every single thing that could be considered a defective character needs to be cast out this is where i kind of have contention with other people i am sarcastic and one of my defenses is reacting in a humorous way to situations that would otherwise cause me harm to deflate situations to protect myself it is one of my biggest defenses is my sense of humor and my willingness to make a joke and my willingness to keep people at bay by always being sarcastic and funny and you know i i do take things seriously i know when to do that but i also do use my sense of humor as a way of protecting myself Coming into the program, I had pretty much made the decision that that wasn't something I was going to get rid of. While it maybe at times did protect my drinking, that was not a defect that I felt like I was doing harm with. And it wasn't one that was going to cause me to drink. Me cracking jokes at inappropriate times isn't going to cause any real harm, uh, even though it is a defect that I wrote down. So... You know, there is some consideration there. I'm hypervigilant at times, especially when in traffic. That hypervigilance in other situations, in relationships, can cause real harm. So that was also a defect that I just had to kind of change my relationship with. So while it, you know, could be used in a defective way, doesn't mean that the entirety of being hypervigilant is defective. I've avoided crashes because I'm hypervigilant. And there's other situations where, like, you know, as a very small example, uh, I was in a grocery store and my girlfriend at the time had a, a son that wasn't really paying any attention and a person was about to hit him with a shopping cart. And because I basically always was aware of where he was at because I was hypervigilant about his whereabouts because I had done time with people that snatched little kids. So I know that that was a possibility and I would not let that kid out of my sight just in case, even though it annoyed the shit out of him. Um, I was able to snatch him out of the way and protect him from harm. So there's times when the hypervigilance does have its merits. And then there's times where that hypervigilance went in a, like when I was in a relationship where the girl was hiding things from me and she was cheating on me and I knew it, but I couldn't prove it. That hypervigilance came into where I was doing the same thing to her that I was doing to that, that kid. I was aware of all of her, everything that she was doing, the people that she was talking to, where she was going. While I wasn't directly controlling those things by telling her she couldn't do certain things, I was very much aware of who she was spending her time with and would question when those things didn't line up with reality. And that hypervigilance was driving me fucking nuts. And it was causing further rift in our relationship and rifts with friends because I didn't believe them. I thought they were covering for her. It made me paranoid, etc., etc. And I know I've just gone off for quite a bit of time on a very small part of this and I haven't gotten very far yet, but I feel like that that is something very important for a lot of people who do get stuck on this defective character thing. It's hard to get rid of some of the things that you have been using as defense for years. And I'm saying that it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. There is a redirect that can happen. Or, at times, you're just going to have to settle in with the fact that if it's causing you to have an unmanageable life, it's got to go. Even if it's something that you really love about yourself. So, you know, this this is a heavier topic than what I feel like it really gives itself time for. It feels like they're just like, oh yeah, that's, got, that's all bad. So everything's got to go. Defects are out. So the fifth step, right, is this idea that you're going to trust somebody with everything you wrote down on a fourth step. And this throws a lot of people off too. Because there's some shit in my fourth step that I wouldn't want to just advertise to the public uh, in a general sense. I do overshare, so 90% of the stuff, probably, 95% of the stuff, uncomfortably. Not for me, but for other people. But 
that 5% or whatever, you know, it has to be the right person. I chose my sponsor because I trusted him. If that wasn't an option, there are other people. Some people choose, some sponsors ask their sponsees to share that with somebody else entirely because they don't want their relationship with their sponsee to change. It really just depends. But there are people in the program that I'm sure would be more than willing to hear your fourth step if you trust them a little bit more than your sponsor because you don't have that relationship with them yet. There are priests that will sit down and listen to all this shit and in a non-judgmental way. There are caseworkers. There's people that work in recovery that'll do the same thing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be your sponsor and it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's close to you in life. Don't tell your best friend this shit. Don't decide that your girlfriend's the one that needs to hear your fifth step. Those are all very, very bad ideas. It might seem like a great bonding experience, but it has been my experience in just not only my own recovery program, but in observing others that this is just a really bad idea. Back to the reading. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in amending these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Some of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do it. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. I do appreciate that they use that terminology in this, and I think it might be something that's skipped in a lot of people. We may not overcome drinking. So this is not a requirement. This is a suggestion in the program. But, you know, you still run to these people that are like, if you didn't do it exactly like the program, you're going to drink, son. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their ego, uh, egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. Now, my sponsor was nice enough that this latest sponsor, I've been through many fourth steps and fifth steps. My sponsor was nice enough that he just said, you know what, pick the ones that you feel like are the worst and then read those and then pick the ones that you feel like the best and read those and realize that they're all the same. Like once I'd read them, he's like, now just realize that there is no best or worst. Like there's things you've done maybe that you could consider best or worst, but the defects are all the same. They, they all root down to the same kind of thing. So... He gave me the opportunity to kind of choose, and then that was an opportunity for me internally to decide, okay, am I, am I going to actually pull the trigger on some of the ones that I wouldn't share with just anybody, or, or am I going to hide, hide, you know, hide those, keep those to myself? Am I going to take that easy, quote-unquote easier, softer way, right? He didn't care which ones I read to him. This step wasn't for me, or for him, it was for me. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer, outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. Okay, everybody's like that. I mean, it does say more than most people, so we act harder than a lot of people, but I mean, this is a characteristic of all humanity. Very, very, very few people actually live their inner self in an exterior. Like, I mean, we're talking like the Jim Carreys that are just absolutely their own fucking being in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of public. And that's not a typical thing of most people. We have our, our versions, right? We have a version that shows up to work. We have the version that shows up with our best friends or closest friends. We have the version that shows up with our, our significant other. You know, we have the version that, that shows up alone. Alcoholics, by and large, evidently, have a tendency to exaggerate those those faces that we put on. Lord knows when I was with my ex-fiance, that was exactly it. I, I had a very different version of my, myself that was presented in the basement while I was drinking my way to a, a quick death or slow death, whatever you want to call it. And the version I presented to her when I was living away from her, when I came down to visit, I had a very, very, very much different version of myself and so on, you know? So I feel like everybody's going to kind of relate to this, whether you're struggling with alcoholism or not. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As far as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. 
He hopes they will never see the light of day. He was under the constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. This is kind of the idea that if you keep holding on to some of these like resentments, some of these these defects, certain defects, some of these feelings of fear, you know, if you hold on to these and you keep them from the light of day, that that could lead you to drinking. And I agree with that 100%. I didn't leave any stone unturned. I had in the past, but I didn't want to risk this, risk it. There wasn't any reason to risk it. What's the worst that can happen? Telling somebody some deep, dark secret. You might get judged. Like, like I haven't been judged before. What, somebody's not going to talk to me? Out of the 7 billion people on the planet, one person maybe has a reaction to my story that for whatever reason they didn't have to anybody else's. I'm not that special. Yeah, I've seen and done some shit that maybe some people haven't, and I do have some uniqueness to some of my story, but I'm not that special. Like, I'm not that special that reading this stuff out loud to somebody else in this program is somehow going to result into them having a terrible reaction that somehow harms me. But leaving it off the table could very well lead me to drinking again. Why even take that risk? Psycho uh, psychologists are inclined to agree with this. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder, many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. And just as an aside, I would say that that honesty, if you can apply it to somebody else, even if you're you're struggling to really be honest with yourself, this is going to make that part easier. Like me sharing everything with my sponsor really made it a lot easier for me to be just truly honest with myself. Because I wanted to, I wanted this that badly. I wanted to not drink that badly. If at the end of the day, for some reason, it turns out that none of this was necessary, I learned and gained so much from this process that even if it didn't stop me from drinking and that's not the thing that did, I have become a better person for having done this. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession, must, and of course, will want to go to the proper appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious conception, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed-mouth understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story will tell someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And okay, so yeah, no self-flagellation though, right? Don't, don't, this isn't you beating your own ass. This isn't the purpose of any of this. If you do this the right way, then you're going to be a casual outside observer to this whole process. You're going to be able to look at things objectively. That's the point of this. And I know a lot of people feel this is like just some sort of a, a practice in self-loathing. And that's not the case or it shouldn't be the case. Somebody walking you through this whole thing should be willing to sit down with you and say, look, we're, we're doing this so that you can actually see your behavior, not to fucking beat you up about your behavior. There's no reason to beat your own ass right now. You've done that all enough, like a whole life worth of doing that shit. This is like, okay, well, if that's the case, if I've been doing all these fucking terrible things, then what exactly have I been doing it and why have I been doing it? That's all this is. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. There's no reason anymore in this day and age to, to kind of add to this that this isn't possible. You can Zoom call fucking somebody. You know, there's just access to too many people to be postponing this. Don't try to use this as a way to uh, procrastinate. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have written an inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. 
We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approached in this will ha- will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. For me, it was not a spiritual experience, obviously. I've covered that. I've talked about that. For me, it was just it was just actually being open, very open to the importance of examining this stuff and being open to the fact that some of this stuff is going to have to be re-examined, that it's not going to be solved today, that this was not a, an exercise in literally resetting and being done with all the bullshit. It was really just the first step towards getting, you know, ultimately to a place of balance and of being capable of moving forward with my life without carrying around all this baggage. I needed to get rid of all these resentments and all this this carnage that I'd created. And I needed to do it in a way that satisfied those, you know, those that were affected. I couldn't just pretend like I'd done the work and I couldn't just forget about everything. There, There was you know, a part of this that was necessary to actually examine this stuff. So for me, that spiritual experience was really just finally being honest with myself and feeling that honesty for what it was. That that was my experience. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the pages, which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we admitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So what it's what it's asking you to do is to actually go back through everything you've talked to somebody after writing down your inventory you've you've you know dissected the possibility that you might actually be powerless in some way against your desires to drink you've you've really at least looked at the the possibility that you're going to need help you're going to need people's help and and relying on that help is a safe thing to do you're going to be looking at um just you re-examining that stuff have you missed anything do you feel satisfied with the process again this was my spiritual experience quote unquote you know, I didn't call it that. This was me just being like, I'm, I'm satisfied with the work I've done, and I feel better as a result. And I'd felt better than I had in a very long time. If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. We have emphasized willingness at, at being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Okay, so, I mean, yeah, that's going to be a problem as an atheist or an agnostic or a free thinker or even somebody that's not super religious that does have faith of some kind. That this is going to be an issue if you don't believe in Sky Daddy, if some sort of a Santa Claus figure, some sort of a benevolent, omnipotent being. You know, this is going to hinder your progress if if you can't get past this part, right? Because the good stuff comes after this, to me. And getting stuck here after you've already, you know, dished on your dirty laundry is that would be a rough thing. And there's no reason to just skip it. Right? Because there is purpose here, but the purpose is different. We're not handing this over to some godlike creature. You know, depending on whatever secular 12 steps you end up reading from, whatever version of this program you end up re- reading from, you know, one of them has it worded we're ready to accept help in letting go of our defects of character. And seven is with humility and openness sought to eliminate our shortcomings. Which I like, I kind of like the word shortcomings, sort of. I don't know, defects, shortcomings, there is negative connotation to some of these words, but it's not necessarily a negative process. This other one is become willing to change defects in my character. Seven is accepted responsibility for my actions. And quite honestly, one of my favorites, Russell Brand's 12 Steps. Well, that's revealed a lot of fucked up patterns. Do you want to stop it? Seriously? And seven, are you willing to live in a new way that's not all about you and your previous fucked up stuff? You have to. 
And I agree. Like this is the, the opportunity for you to have decided on these things that you are using as a defense to keep you drinking, either getting rid of them altogether if they do not serve you in the path that you wish to be on, or or at the same time looking at the ones that are maybe just being used in the wrong way. You know, if there's defects, quote unquote, that can just be redirected, then redirect them. This is you being willing to redirect them. You've removed drinking, so there's no reason to have these defenses to keep you drinking. You know, and this is, again, this is, six is, so many people get stuck on step six. And it's really, even if you go back to the, the actual reading of this, the 12 steps in the big book, it's being willing. Like, you're just telling yourself, I'm okay with not having this defect anymore. I am okay with not having this sensitivity to people so that I feel like that everything they say is harmful to me, right? Let's say that's the defect because I had that. I had a huge sensitivity to how people talk to me. When I was in a relationship, if a girlfriend didn't say something a certain way, then I assumed they no longer had an interest in me and had fallen out of love with me. Like I was super sensitive for a lot of my drinking. Am I okay with the possibility of not being sensitive like that anymore? Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm very okay with that. Okay. Am I willing to live in a way that promotes me not being sensitive? Sure. Absolutely. And that's that. Yeah, there's work that comes with that. There's steps to take. You know, for me, having that that lack of sensitivity meant I had to, one, I had to, to redirect some of that because being sensitive to my, my you know, the people around me in a, in a healthy way is just, it could be, you know, for me, I'm, I become a very considerate person. I start to really just consider other people's feelings and I try to plan and, you know, like, let's say with my girlfriend, I try to act in a way that means I don't just disrespect her on a regular fucking basis, but I also am just very aware of tonal change of mood change and instead of just assuming that there's something wrong with me that's causing that i just simply ask hey is everything okay i use that as an opportunity to be a a member of our relationship and a participant of our relationship you know using my relationship as an example seems to make sense since that's what my sensitivity was always based around so instead of just assuming things and just deciding ah my partner no longer loves me i just have gotten used to saying, hey, I feel like you're, you're, you know, something's going on. Is everything okay? And if they say yes, then I accept that yes. I don't continue to play these tapes over my head and live in this paranoia and the sensitivity. It took a lot of work to get to that point. And I'm not saying that everybody's going to just wake up and suddenly get over all this shit. None of this is really expecting that. This whole process isn't expecting that tomorrow tomorrow you're 100% fucking cured of all your issues. And that's another big thing to kind of take away from all this. Most of this, even though it's action-based, comes from a willingness to change. And it comes from the willingness to do the work. And it comes with the understanding that this work is going to be constant and take time. And sometimes it's going to be really hard, but it's going to be worth it. So the first thing I think you really need to do if you're having a hard time with this part of it is really just, this is where the letting go thing comes in. If you're able to let go of anything, let go with the idea that it's expected that all of this happened today. Just let go of that if you can. Baby steps, fucking little itty bitty steps. Forward movement, though, is enough to keep you sober. It really is, I promise. As long as you're doing this work and you're moving a little forward every day, it's going to keep you sober. Don't get stuck on the fact that earlier in the book it talked about how they did the steps in a couple hours sitting at a, at a breakfast nook or something, you know, because that's not really the case. Abby didn't really get, you know, Bill through the steps in a couple hours, maybe a couple parts of it, but they worked together for a while. It just sounds better in the book, you know? That's the kind of shit you gotta take with a grain of salt, and it doesn't have to apply to you. Everybody works this stuff at a different pace. Everybody has different things they have to work through. And some people are able to work through some aspects of it a lot easier than other people. Don't base any of this on what other people are doing. Base it on you. This is an examination of you. So again, now that you've revealed a lot of fucked up patterns, do you want to stop those patterns? And if that's the case, are you willing to live in a way that allows for you to work on stopping those patterns? If you're willing to do that, then you've already finished both of these steps and you can move on to the eighth step. It's really that simple. Back to the rating. Now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and of whom we're willing to make amends. We made it when we took the inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. 
Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on a self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And for a lot of people, this is the hardest steps. I didn't mind my fourth, fifth, or sixth. None of that bothered me one bit. The hard parts came in this step. And this was the one that when I did the most work in it and overcame these struggles and difficulties in, in solving, you know, not solving, but, but making these amends, this was where the work paid off. My, my strength and my recovery came from doing this part of the program in a healthy way. Again, no self-flagellation, but that also means we're not just laying ourselves at the feet of anybody that we harmed and we're like, all right, man, do what you will. I owe you. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel differently about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is here to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to uh, announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he who has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go on to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feelings and expressing our regret. Under no circumstances do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply tell him that we will never get over our drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street. Realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. And that's that's been my experience. There's been a lot of people that I've harmed in my past, and there's a lot of people that I've made amends to. There's some people I haven't been able to reach, or the opportunity to make those amends haven't come up, but I've been willing to make those amends. There's, there's a few people I just probably shouldn't seek out in life, a lot of them revolving around my crime that I committed. And in those cases where it would do more harm for me to come up all of a sudden and be like, hey, I got sober, my life's great. Remember that time I killed one or tried to kill one of our friends at a party that we were all at? Like, there's no reason to dig any of that shit up. There's no reason to do that. It, 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 it might help, I suppose, me in some way. But in some of these instances with a few of these people, it just is going to do more harm for them. It's probably best that they just have moved past me. Or if that's not the case, this isn't an instance of me avoiding it. I have talked to people that were there that night and I have made my amends. There's some people like my victim that it's going to be best if I make a living amends. There was a very small period of time where he was interested in having a meetup with me and then he changed his mind. Whether or not that's changed over the years, it's not my place to decide for him that he's ready to talk to me. And so until that, or maybe never, maybe that never happens, my living amends is that I just do my best to not ever have that situation. I could just don't, for, for a time it was me just not drinking, right? That was my amends. And then it became me actually helping other people who might be struggling with this in a way where they do become violent. You know, I used to teach conflict resolution to inmates that I used to go to the prison that were from the prison I was in. And that was my way of living amends, of giving back. If I could help somebody with conflict resolution in a way to where they won't do something violent to harm somebody else, then I feel like that's giving back to my situation. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to some people. Because there's going to be times where you're just not, maybe somebody's passed away. And I think it's going to touch on this in a minute. Maybe they've passed away. Or maybe they've lost their cognitive cognizant ability to really react to what you're saying or maybe they can't hear you for some reason there's got to be a way right to to make those amends and that's where the living amends comes in 
But that doesn't mean that everybody in your life that you've harmed, you just make living amends to all of them. In a general sense, right, there's been women in my past that I have used for sexual pleasure, you know, and, and then we had a, a falling out afterwards because I wasn't clear on my intentions. You know, we slept together and then they wanted more than I did and I wasn't willing to give it to them. You know, I took advantage of whatever feelings they might have had in a, in a really shitty and disrespectful and disruptive way. I can't reach out to every single one of the women this might have happened with, but I can go forward and treat women from now on with incredible respect as much as I can give them. I've been honest as much as possible with my intentions with being with women. You know, like I don't I don't lead them on or make them feel like that there's something going on. I'm not a fuck boy. That's not to say that I wasn't. There was a very big window of time where I was. Some of that was in sobriety, where I'd made just poor choices that harmed women. So the only way to really effectively make those amends to some of these people uh, who, who don't want to talk to me any longer because of, you know, being a fucking fuckboy, then I have to just be a better man to women. Like, that's just the only option I have. I should have already, right? But it just wasn't the case. You know, I, I can say all I want that I didn't go around beating women, right? Which is true. I didn't. I don't physically harm them. In the very, very past, I used to be very emotionally manipulative and was, was not a great partner when it came to things like that. And when I was single and I was, I was dating around, I wasn't always open about the fact that I wasn't interested in being in a relationship. And there was, there was a time I cheated. Like, I mean, there's things like this that just can't be repaired. And so... Being incredibly honest with my significant other is how I make a living amends. And I hope that makes sense to some folks. Uh, in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of, our, of years standing melt away in an hour. And this, I've had something similar to this happen, where I did have an opportunity to make an amend to somebody that I had a lot of resentment for. Making the amend... We ended up talking in a way that was fully fucking unexpected because I had built up all these assumptions about them in my head. And after we were done talking, it just turned out that we had all been mis we'd been fucking misunderstanding each other due to however the circumstances had played out. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former in enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It, may, it should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part, it's water under the dam. So we can't go into this expecting that somebody's just going to forgive us for whatever it was that we've done. Not everybody's going to. And we can't go into this assuming that if they don't forgive us that that's a good enough reason to drink or that there's something continually wrong with us. Not everybody has the capacity or the interest in getting rid of their resentments. That's not your fucking problem. Your problem is your own resentments, period. Who gives a shit what other people are thinking of you, especially people that you've already chosen or a quote-unquote enemy it's very important that you you have the opportunity or the willingness to not allow people to rent space in your head i swear to god it is the number one offender and people hear that you'll hear that in the meetings all the time resentment's the number one offender it couldn't be more true it really is you know hatred of others man Hey, uh, unwillingness to, to even lift that hatred, just knuckling down. I've seen people do it. I've seen people do it because they hate the church. I've seen people do it because they hate this fucking person from 20 years ago that they just let live up there in their heads. I, I had resentments for my parents. I had a resentment for my father that just would not fucking go away. And sometimes it crops back up, man. And even though I've done the work and that resentment should be gone, some event happens. When my grandmother passed away and I knew that he was going to be up there, I told my aunt, like, that's not a good idea. Like, I don't think he needs to be there when I'm there. I've come to terms with the fact that he's, in, he's a, a man living inside his illness, but I can't give myself the opportunity to be around him. I've already apologized for the things I needed to, and I've already set things right. I've made my amends. But that also means, that doesn't mean I have full forgiveness. It doesn't mean I give him access to me. I feel he's a very toxic person still, and I feel like he's very manipulative, and he's still deep in his drinking. In order to protect myself, that means I have to make those boundaries known. And, and a violation of those boundaries just isn't something I'm willing to even open myself up to. So what I had to do then was I actually had to talk to somebody and examine, do I still have a resentment? In fact, I did. And it hadn't been anything I really thought about. So it wasn't like I was living in this resentment. He, my dad wasn't bouncing around in my head every single second. But, you know, bringing up this potential for contact brought that resentment back and made me realize there was still work that needed to be done. So I did more work. I'm still doing more work. That resentment's not all the way gone. Pretty sure I would have whooped his ass. And that's not a good feeling to have. That means that there's something I haven't really, con you know, 
fully let go of. I'm still fully willing to let go of it, but I hadn't. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal, uh, we can, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. I haven't met any creditors that really give a shit. Uh, instead, I have just worked on my debts as much as possible. Maybe... 90% as much as possible. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. And that part's true. The stress that I felt at some points over the amount of money that I owed brought back those feelings of suicide. Like, it just, it, it, sometimes it's overwhelming. And it, that's been a long time since I've had that feeling. But the amount of damage I did to my finances, like I'm never going to own a house. It's just really not something that's fucking in my cards. So I've kind of accepted that, but it doesn't mean that I have to live in fear of my creditors. I'll get to a point where I've paid off all my debts. That kind of confidence makes me feel good about my situation, even if it means I won't own a really, really fancy house or something. I'm fine with that. That's just kind of the bet I've made. What I wasn't fine with was you know, getting a call and being scared it was somebody else I owed money to. So I was proactive and I did a little bit of work to, to make sure that whatever debts I owed, I called them, I reached out to them, I did my best to build some kind of a payment plan if I could or just paid out, right, if they were giving me a deal and just have moved forward with that. You know, and there's still a bit of debt. I still have some stuff to take care of, but I have a good relationship with it. I pay on time. My credit score is going up. And I will eventually get, get it taken care of. It took me a while to get to that point, but there were times, I'm telling you, when I was like, I owe so much money. This is fucking going to kill me. I can't possibly consider paying all this off. I just don't make that kind of money, and the jobs that I am capable of working due to my, my past don't really pay in the 60s, 70s, and 80,000s dollar range. You know what I'm saying? So I have to make the, I have to be willing to make those amends by paying those debts as well as I can. Uh, and, and have the acceptance and understanding of knowing that maybe they don't always, maybe they never get paid. But I can't think uh, like fucking 10 years from now and think, well, I'm still going to owe this money. My life's in shambles. All I can think of is, okay, I'm paid up this month. Solid. I have a plan for next month. I know what I'm supposed to do. Perhaps we have committed a cr criminal offense, which might land us in jail if we were to, if we were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We already admitted this in confidence to another person. But we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a criminal situation where you feel like you're going to you, you have a warrant out or there's some situation where you've committed that crime and they don't know about it, like whatever that is, you know, work with your sponsor, but also really examine the situation. Consider going to a lawyer and seeking legal advice. Don't ask people at the meeting for legal advice. <laughs> Never do that. Go to a lawyer. Ask people at the meeting for advice on getting a lawyer, but don't just assume they know what the fuck they're doing. Don't assume that your sponsor is going to protect you if you've committed a crime and in some way that can affect them. This isn't snitches and situations about fucking people telling on. You're not dealing with people that are on the street still. You know what I mean? If that's the world you're coming from. If you're worried about fucking common folk snitching on you, that's not how that works. Common folk are supposed to tell on you because you're acting criminally. <laughs> like you don't get a free pass because you expect them to keep their mouth shut. But that also doesn't mean that you just go to the fucking first police station and turn yourself in. Be pragmatic and thoughtful about it. You know, don't hide. Don't continue to hide. Don't make it worse by committing more crimes. But seek real legal help and go about that in a healthy way. If, you know, walking down immediately means you lose your job, you lose your house, and, and you're no longer able to provide for your family, well, that's not a fucking help for anybody. You can't make any amends at that point. But if you can go to a lawyer and they can help, you know, reduce some sentencing and you can save some cash and be prepared with a bond so you can continue to work while you're waiting trial, whatever the situation might be, go in with a game plan and think things through. So this is page 79. We still have basically, two, you know, eight pages left, seven pages left. Uh, I have 
I have a feeling that this is going to go on for quite a while. So I'm going to go ahead and end things here. I probably could get away with just running this for another 45 minutes, but I don't really like pushing these episodes past an hour. If I can help it, I think an hour is the sweet spot. It's about how much time I spent with my sponsor. It's about how long a meeting goes. Um, so an hour or less is kind of my aim. Uh, it does mean that the next episode might be a little short, so I might babble a little bit more in the beginning. You know, since I don't really talk much in the beginning, that's sarcasm, heavily sarcastic there because i talk a lot if again please reach out to me at an atheist naa on twitter uh, one atheist naa at gmail.com if you want to send me an email an atheist reads the big book of aa on facebook you can also just uh you can find me on on instagram uh, atheist underscore in underscore aa you know, send me some information, send me some, shoot some feedback to me, tell me what you like or don't like about the podcast. If I do talk too much in the beginning and you'd like me to just get directly in the big book, tell me that. If you do like what I talk about at the beginning, that, that might be something I continue to do on a regular basis along with the reading. You know, just I, I can hear myself talk as much as I want. Um, if people are listening and they feel like they could get something different out of it, I, I'd like to know, you know, I'd like to know how I can improve this and make this better because this isn't for me while it does help me stay sober i am sure the purpose is to help the other alcoholic that's still struggling and i can't help them properly if i'm only listening to myself so please i really appreciated that some people are reaching out to me and i really appreciate that to continue um, and hopefully like i said you know the ultimate goal is to build kind of a community around this if you hit me up on twitter there is a whole community of folks they have their own meeting that's that's around the people that are in their little twitter community it's fucking fantastic i can't believe it sprouted up uh, and it's a lot of it's a lot of fun very entertaining so with that i'm going to bring this episode to a close uh, again we ended on page 79 so keep that earmarked and uh, we'll be back uh, next week and uh, thank you again for keeping me sober today till next time Thank you.